Thank you, Amy, for reading that. Um, so, what's next? We've gone through a lot of a portion of, of Scripture. We've sang some songs. We've, we've talked about the resurrection. Uh, if you're here Friday night, you were able to come and, and celebrate with us and remember uh, Jesus' death and His burial. And today we come into a service and we say, He is risen, He's alive, and we're excited about that. Hopefully we are, right? And, and, and now we, we celebrate the fact that we serve a Lord who is not in the grave, but one who is alive. So what's next? So if you haven't already figured it out, today is also April Fool's Day. Anybody pulled a prank yet? Okay, we got one. All right. Yeah, that's not too many yet. Well, maybe somewhere along the way, uh, someone will either pull a prank on you or you've got it in your mind to, to pull a prank on somebody else. I'm not sure. But I want you to know that when we talk about the resurrected Lord, we're not fooling around. There's no April Fool's joke here. And when we say Jesus is alive, he's truly alive. But now the question is, what's next? So we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to go through a portion of Scripture that actually happens after the resurrection and see what the disciples, who were Jesus' you know, 12 guys, one has passed at this point in the story, but we have 11 left. These guys are walking around with Jesus while he's in his resurrected state. So the death, burial, and resurrection has already happened when we come to this portion of Scripture in Acts. And so what Amy just read was the portion of, of the resurrection there in John and his recording of, of what it was like to come to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. Well, after that, you've got a time period where Jesus walked on the earth talking to his disciples. So we're going to pick up that part of the story, and I think we have a few things that we can learn about it, even when we think about fools in April Fool's Day and how... In reality, we may be looking for something that God's, well, He's not going to help us with yet. So if you're looking for something, you're like, hey, this is what I want from Jesus, you might end up hearing April Fool's, that's not what God's going to give you. Instead, He's going to give you something better. So Acts chapter 1, here's, what has, here's how it starts. It says, I wrote the first narrative. Now, who's the I in this? As you look at the portion of Scripture, you've got to go back and get a little bit of history here. But, but we know it's Luke, and Luke has written, not Pastor Luke up here, by the way. Sorry. I mean, he could almost write a book this good, but not quite. It wouldn't be inspired like this one. But, but Luke, 2,000 years ago, um, wrote this. He was, he was a physician. He traveled around with Jesus. He wasn't one of the apostles, one of the original disciples, but he traveled around with them and learned uh, much of what happened, and did a lot of research. And so here he's writing his, uh, another narrative. He actually makes reference to the first narrative, which is the Gospel of Luke. Okay? So he says, Theophilus, who is a, a government official of some sort, he says, I wrote to you in the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he references back to the Gospel. Now he's writing this next one, and he says a couple of things, until the day he was taken up, Okay? So that kind of puts a time frame on that first gospel. And after he had given orders to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. So now in the book of Acts, we've got a whole story, not about the gospel of, of Jesus Christ anymore. Instead, it's what's next. What happens after Jesus Christ rises? And so now we have this whole book that tells us about the early church and the beginning of the church and what it looked like 
at that time. So that's what he's telling us. That's how he, why he starts it the way he does. So let's continue moving forward. It says, after he had suffered, talking about Jesus, he also presented himself alive to them, okay, the, the disciples and, and early believers, by many convincing proofs. The early church and the people who began right from the get-go with Jesus and following Jesus, they didn't think that Jesus was some ghost floating around. They didn't think he was just some spirit being out there. They really believed he was a physical, resurrected man. And here, Luke goes on to tell us that there were convincing proofs. Jesus showed up to more than 500 people. We can read about it in other texts, but more than 500 people and said, Here I am in physical form. You can come up and you can touch me and know that I have resurrected physically. Okay? So there have been many convincing proofs appearing to them for a period of about 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So this is what Jesus has been doing after his resurrection with his disciples and others, about 500 people total. Now moving on again, four, uh, verse 4, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. So don't go to, away from Jerusalem, stay right here, but wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water... Now, oftentimes when people say baptism, you think of water baptism right away. But the word baptist or baptism actually means to place into, to dunk or immerse. Uh, You can go back in history, at least I've been told back in in the Greek culture, they would baptize cucumbers. How do you do that, right? You put them in vinegar. It was the baptizo. That's the word they would use right here. They would dunk them into vinegar. Is that right? To make cucumbers or to make pickles? Excuse me. All right. A few of you are shaking your head. All right. Um, so that's what they would do. They put them into, placed into. Well, here you've got this idea that you're placed into water. John placed people into water. But Jesus talks about another type of baptism, placing into the Holy Spirit. And so we, we believe when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are baptized, placed into the Holy Spirit, and then you can go out and be baptized in the water as a demonstration of your spiritual baptism that has already taken place. Okay? So that's how the two work together. So he says, uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he prophesies, he predicts that this is going to happen. And, and we can read about it if we continue through the book of Acts into chapter 2. But verse 6, this is where I want to pick up and expand a little bit. So, so when they had come, the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Now, some of you may know about Israel and its history a little bit, but you can go back to, you know, in the 40s, Israel uh, was again established in its state that it is right now. You can go and visit Israel, you can fly into Tel Aviv, they'll take you to Jerusalem and see some of the old places that, that Jesus walked and the early church and even before that and archaeological digs and all that kind of stuff. It's really cool. If you get a chance to do it, I'd highly recommend going. But up to like 2,000 years ago, Israel was, was kind of there, but they were under the Roman rule. Now, before that, they were under some great kings like King David and King Solomon. And they believed, man, if we could just get back to those days, if we could just have somebody come in and restore us and be like it was back in the time of King David or in the time of King Solomon, Israel would be a great nation again. And the Old Testament prophecies talked about this guy coming, this Messiah who would come and restore Israel to a time, well, much like the time with David, 
and Solomon. And so they said, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? That's what they thought. Now, why would they think that? Today we would go, why would, why would you think it? Why would disciples want to know that? And there's a couple of reasons. I'll point to them. It's just simply this. As they were growing up, it's what they were taught. If you were taught this growing up, you would think, oh, okay, well, well Jesus is, is going to come, or the Messiah. They wouldn't know his name is Jesus necessarily, but the Messiah is going to come, and, and he's going to restore Israel to its, its great time. Israel was their home, so why not? Why not be passionate about their home, their people, their nation? Man, we think it ought to be great again. And if you look back in the Old Testament, you're going to see time and time again that it was and is God's chosen people. Right? And the truth is, he restored Israel in the past, so why not restore him now? So these are the questions that might have been going through their mind and many more. Hey, Jesus, is this going to happen at this point? So they ask those questions many times. And then Jesus gives an answer. He said, well, you guys, it's not for you to know. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was supposed to give us all the answers we want, right? He's supposed to give us direct answers. He doesn't here. He just says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority. Sorry, guys. Instead, he redirects their attention to something else. He says, but this is what will happen. You guys are concerned about Israel's history. I know. Don't worry about it. Instead, think about this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why does Jesus need witnesses? Because at that time, the Messiah needed to be explained. The mystery, the gospel of Jesus Christ needed to be explained. And we need to explain it today as well. We need to go out there and let the world know Jesus Christ has come. He's died He was buried. He rose from the dead to bring new life. There's a a problem each person has, and that problem is there's sin in our lives. There's mistakes. We disobey God, and because we disobey God, there's this separation. And because there's this separation, there needs to be something to fix our relationship with God. And the only one who can fix it is Jesus Christ, whose death, burial, and resurrection. And so he tells his disciples, hey, you guys need to get out there and do the job. You need to get out there and tell people about this great truth and the witness. You need to be the witness. The same is true for us. So he redirects their attention. He says, hey, this is what you need to be doing. Don't be concerned about Israel's history right now. Instead, go out and be concerned about being a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took them out of their sight. That would be pretty cool, right? You're just standing there talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden he starts floating up in the air. Oh, wow. And that's kind of what they did. Like, oh, wow. Because look at what you see. It says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. Now, that would freak me out. Now, at this point, the disciples had seen so many incredible things that maybe it wouldn't freak them out. But if I'm just standing there, and two guys are like, like, whoa, you know, like... And, and, and here they are, they're standing there watching the sky, wondering what's going to happen next. And these guys show up and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And see, he's, he's going to come back. But for now, go out and be my witnesses. And I'm filling that in right there, but that's... That's kind of the point here of the first 11 verses of Acts. And so 
Remember, Luke is writing this to a guy named Theophilus, and he's saying, this is, this is the reason why the church exists. This is the reason why I'm writing this letter, the book of Acts, to tell you that the disciples are going out to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. This awesome God-man who came to the earth, taught, died, buried, rose from the dead, and then ascended up into heaven. And now it's passed on 2,000 years, years later. It's passed on to us that we would do the same thing. Jesus redirects the disciples' attention, and he tells them a few things. He tells us a few things. Not, we don't need to be, um, excuse me, there's no need for, for you to know when Israel is going to be restored. We know what's going to happen in the future, and there are other prophecies and so forth in the Old Testament that we can look to. We know what's going to come, but we don't need to be concerned about it or worried about it. Instead, you should be concerned about being witnesses. And then this point, I think, is important. You need, talking to them, here they are looking up, waiting when the physical Jesus is going to come back, you need to move on from being in, in Jesus' physical presence to, to now trusting the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the disciples had, what, three plus years of walking with Jesus and being with him at all time. They have come to depend upon him. And Jesus, at this point, as he's ascended up into heaven, doesn't say it, or at least it's not recorded, but in a way, he's saying, you guys have graduated. Graduated. We've talked, we've walked, we've done all these things. We've graduated. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you. You're not even going to know what hit you until it does. And you're going to be like, wow, this is awesome. We have the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. These, he says, hey, you need to, to move on. And not be so concerned about your little world. Instead, be concerned about what God's doing. And be wrapped up in what God's doing instead of what you want. So as I was looking at that passage and just looking at what's next, it really hit me that, man, there's so much of my life I spend looking at what's going on in my world that oftentimes when I talk to God, my prayers and the things I ask for are often, God, can you help me? Can you help me in my little world? Potentially there's a reason for that. Uh, what are you looking for? You go to Jesus. Uh, I want to... Um, Introduce you to a guy, maybe you've heard of this guy before, his name's Stephen Rice, he's a professor at Ohio State University, he's actually not anymore because he's passed, but, but he did some research, and, and a lot of the research that he did actually has led to a lot of assessments, and you can get profiled, and, and things like that to help you maybe understand who you are. But in his, his uh, research, he found that the average person has 16 basic desires, And because of those 16 basic desires, all throughout history, he has gone on to argue that, that religions have been formed to try to fill those desires and, and so forth. He's, he's taken it much more from a, a man-centered uh, uh, research. Well, here's the 16 if you want to look at them. I want to figure out maybe where you are on here. Basically, his argument is that all 16 of these we have, each person has, but there's some that we have that are in greater need. All right? So you can look power, independence, curiosity, acceptance, order, saving, honor, 
idealism, social contact, family status, vengeance, romance, eating, physical activity, tranquility. So all those things we desire, and maybe there's something on there that really you're like, man, that's, that's really what I desire. That's really what I hunger for. And because of that, you often search for it in life. So that was his findings, and as you go about, and you can read more about it if you'd like to, but, but he would say that Christianity tries to fulfill those 16 basic needs. Um, oftentimes when people come then to Jesus, they're asking for Jesus to try to fill one of those basic needs. So what are you looking for? I know one thing is for certain. Pretty much everybody in this room, if you were to pick up a mirror and look at it and look at yourself, you don't like what you see. You often will find the flaws, you will find the blemishes, you will see the things you want changed. It's not much different when you look at your own life and reflection of what you've become. The average person doesn't like their life, doesn't like what they've become, doesn't like how they they appear physically, and therefore they want to change it. And so many people cry out to God, God, will you change this? Will you change me? Will you change the way I look? Will you change my circumstance? Will you change my job? Will you change where I live? Will you change the money I make? Will you change on and on and on? Will you change my kids? Right? Will you change it? And that's often what our prayers are. You see, the average person is looking for, well, happiness and joy, right? That's all I want. I just want happiness. God, will you give me happiness? Maybe success in their job, family, life. God, will you just make me a little more successful? Maybe take me up the ladder a little bit more. My family, will my family be the, the, the poster child on Facebook? Or the poster family on Facebook. Everybody says, well, I want to be like that family, right? Your life will just get better. Will your comforts increase? I have a car with, uh, with heated seats, which we just went through the wintertime. I love heated seats. Amen. You know, yeah. It's just like, click on, two hours later, I'm like, or two hours. That would, that would be so great. A couple of minutes later, like, oh, it's... Toasty, right? God, will you just give me some heated seats? No. Um, But we want comfort in this world, and we live in a very comfortable time period, don't we? And then we whine about it when something breaks. Political, social peace, we want other people to be happy and comfortable, so that helps us be comfortable. Our friends, there will be peace among our friends. There will be peace in the world. Let's not forget, we're often looking to Jesus to help fulfill our dreams. So that when we look in the mirror, we'll say, wow, God, you you did something great with me. You made me better. You made me look better. And now I'm a little happier with what I see in the, the mirror. Maybe we're a lot like those disciples where we're standing there saying, Jesus, are you going to do what we want you to do? Maybe we need to have our eyes redirected. 
So that's where I want to take you, is redirect your eyes to maybe something a little bit different. Instead of asking God, will you come and fix or help me or make my life better, let us genuinely pursue Christ. Follow him, seek him, hear what he has to say, and then we will be able to align our wants and desires with his. Because this is what God wants. Jesus comes and, and he tells his disciples, guys, don't worry so much about this earth and what's to come on this earth. Instead, be my witnesses because as you're my witnesses, the gospel goes out and people come to Jesus Christ. And when they come to Christ, they experience something so much greater than success or comfort in this world. They get to experience eternal life. When we genuinely pursue Jesus Christ, we align ourselves with him. Instead of asking God to align him with our desires, we ought to be aligning our desires with his. So here's what he has to offer us. Here's what he's directing us to. Just four things. I can actually come up with several more, but, but just four that I think are really important. And uh, I'll expand on each of those a little bit more. One, he gives us eternal life. John 3.16, many people know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. Eternal life. I understand we could try to make our world a little bit better here, but we're comparing this, this blip on the radar screen to something that is for all eternity. Eternal life. That's far greater than my momentary heated seats that I get in the wintertime. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. He says it very clearly. The way to the Father, the way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what really matters is that we follow Christ and know Christ and who he is. Oops. also gives us peace. Romans 5, 1 uh, says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talk about world peace, and we talk about peace amongst our friends and family and everything like that, but, but you can have peace with the God of the universe. That's the God of the universe who has all the universe's power in his hands. You can have peace with him. No, you're not at war with him. You're not fighting him. You're not, you're not at war. We're at peace. That's what really matters. To have your relationship with, with God, the God of the universe, restored, that's what, we ought to be, that's what we ought to be going for. There's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have that guarantee, that promise from God that we are forgiven. He doesn't hold our sins against us. The mistakes, the disobedience, we're forgiven. And we have a second chance. And who doesn't need a second chance, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And look, the new things have come. So I have this little, from your point of view, it's probably pretty tiny, little mirror up here. But uh, as you look into it, do you see a new creation? For the old has gone and the new has come. Do you see that Christ has made you into his child? 
Do you see that who you are is exactly who God wants you to be? That the job He has you in is the place He wants you to be. That the children He has given you are the children He wants you to parent. That the neighborhood He has you in is in the neighborhood He wants you to be in. You're a new creation. Old things have gone, the new things have come, and God has called you to be His child, His servant, His... Uh, you can put a lot of different words in there. But we are His. So maybe you need to be redirected. Now there's two types, uh, I'll appeal to two types of people in here. Maybe those of you who have already made Jesus Christ the object of your faith and you've placed your faith in Him and you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins and you're asking the question, okay, well, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, easy enough, you just have to continue to put your own wants and desires behind you and follow Christ. It's a constant battle. I constantly struggle with it. I know anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ struggles with that and that is submitting and following Jesus Christ. Right? Because we know we have our own wants and desires. We have our own hunger and thirst and everything else to feed this flesh of ours, and we have to put it behind us and follow him. He's worth it. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. Now, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the appeal I made to you, and that is, one, have you ever looked at your life and realized, man, I'm not all that. I have sinned in my life. I've made mistakes. I've disobeyed God. Uh, However you want to phrase that, to realize that you're not in a right relationship with God the Father the God of the universe. Like you know there's a break in there somehow and and there's a separation and you don't know how to fix it. And maybe you think, oh, if I just do enough good works that I'll get there, but the reality is you won't. That's the April Fool's joke. Except it's not much of a joke because this is real life we're dealing with. You can't get there. If someone comes and says, oh, all you need to do is, and they lay out this master plan of all these works and all these deeds... In order for you to be saved and have a relationship with God the Father or any other God or any other higher power, it's simply not true. The only way you can have a relationship with the God of the universe is to believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He became the one who would be punished for your wrongdoing, for my wrongdoing, for my disobedience. It's the only way. So he was punished there, and, and we accept that. We accept what Christ has done, but he didn't just stay there in, the, in the, the grave. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he gave new life, and he came to us, and he says, here it is. Here's the life I want to give you. It's a brand new life. It's a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ. If you place your faith in him, the old has gone away, and the new has come, and now you're forgiven and free. You can accept that and live now in this new life. So you admit, hey, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I don't know this this God, I need to know him, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now I'm going to make this confession, I'm going to confess that yes, he is Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from pain for our own sins. We'll be saved from that place called hell where people will go if they refuse Jesus Christ because that is the the result. That is the result of disobeying. That is the result of ignoring Christ. That is the result of rejecting Christ, that you would have to pay for your own sins. 
So you can either accept what Christ has done for your sins or reject him. And that means that you have to pay for your own sins. Which is not a very fun thing to do. And that's for all eternity. So an appeal to you to say, hey, I'd like that kind of a gift. If you've ever been to Costco, some of you have, some of you haven't. Some of you guys love going through Costco and getting all the samples, the free food. Guys, this is better than that. Okay? Way better than that. Okay? If you've ever won something, a raffle, or, and you're like, man, I just got something that's free and it's awesome. Guys, this is way better than that. This is eternal life. So, make that appeal to you if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Please do it today. And if you'd like to, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're like, man, I'm making that decision right now, right here in my chair, then please come and tell me afterwards. I'd love to hear what God's done in your life. But for the rest of us, if we need to be redirected and make sure that we're not living life for ourselves and we're coming to God, we're coming to Jesus, we need to be asking the right questions. What can I do for you rather than what can you do for me? Jesus, what can I do for you? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the work you have done by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. Jesus, we thank you. You came to this earth and brought us salvation. And now we have this new life, this new life that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. The old has gone away and the new has come. All eternity we get to spend with you. We don't even begin, we can't even begin to comprehend how awesome that is going to be. To finally be in a, in a place where there is no sinful desire. To be in a place where there is true joy and true happiness. Where we are 100% content with everything that is going on around us. Where we are worshiping you and enjoying the good work that you have created. We long for that day, but until that day comes, we're here on this earth, and we're striving to follow you. Jesus, help us to follow you, to redirect our attention, just like you redirect the apostles there. Redirect us and help us to understand and align ourselves with what you have in store. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be a day of salvation for them, that they would come to you, the Holy Spirit would be penetrating and working in their heart, that they'd give their life to you and know that they have eternal life. We want to close this, this morning with just another time of worship and song, and we trust that it'll be a sweet aroma lifted up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.